1: Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation, around the world, and a few of you who are still in COVID-19 quarantine, welcome to, this is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, aptly named, and of course it will be feasting featuring Boston, you know him as Austin Ward. Uh, I guess we will be feasting and featuring Boston, you know him as Austin Ward. He always has great stuff to say. Um, It's been an interesting time uh, putting together these podcasts because as you can tell, we're doing it uh, remotely via Zoom. Sometimes the audio is great, sometimes it's not. It's kind of the risk you run into depending on the bandwidth at that time of the day and whether your provider is twerking it up or twerking it down but I digress. Bottom line is uh, I've tried to keep having some interesting guests on here to a uh, while away the hours, and it's gotten to be the dog days of June, heading into the dog days of June now, because uh, the last week of May is turning into a blistering heat wave, uh, but with that in mind, uh, this week's guest is a, a fellow most Ohio State fans remember, most of them finally, maybe some not, but uh, his name was, his name was, his name is Jim Trussell, the president
0: of Youngstown.
1: State University, uh, maybe I, I don't know who went from being a head football coach who won uh, five national championships to becoming president of their uh, president of a university, but Jim Tressel uh, is definitely in a unique crowd. That is for sure. Perhaps he's the only one, but uh, he's got some interesting things to say. And we didn't dwell because it's been dwelled on millions of times on what went down way back when in 2010 and in 2011. Uh, but we mainly what I want to get in, into with him was how a president of university has been handling this COVID-19 situation. He had some interesting stuff to say about that. Also, some interesting stuff to say about, you know, who could, who might might not, survive in this uh, as urban meyer called it last week on this podcast survival of the fittest you know uh, small colleges might have a little bit of an advantage in terms of they don't always count on big time uh, big time attendance at football games and big time uh, television network uh, money to get them through you know Uh, the big thing for for smaller universities is whether the enrollment will come back whether or not there will be actual school in the fall and uh me, he's got some interesting things about interesting things to say about all that and really about how what happened on uh, memorial day 2011 when he was in essence asked to step down as the state football coach in the midst of that uh, ncaa investigation had really opened some gates he didn't see coming maybe uh six weeks earlier and uh how he stepped through those gates and found success in another way of affecting uh young people so you know without further ado let's talk to uh jim trussell and ladies and gentlemen as promised uh one of my one of my favorite people i ever met in life and uh, one of the favorite people i ever covered uh being a sports writer jim trussell jim trussell thanks for joining us on the May podcast
2: my pleasure, Tim. It's good to be with you. And, and Ellen told me to tell you that she still enjoys trying to go back and read some of your archive material that, that you, you motivate her.
1: Well, I know it's on scrolls now. So, you know right, what I mean? You've got to be, they're very, as they say in the, A Christmas Story, they're very fragile. Uh, you know, you too. I mean, before we got started here, as you know, I was kind of bugging you. Do you want me to call you Jim? Do you want me to call you President Trussell, Coach Trussell? What, what do you answer to these days?
2: Well, I, I answer to Jim and to President Tressel and to Coach, but I also answer to some other names, you know, from my faculty that uh, we probably, this is probably a uh, not an X-rated uh, podcast. So I answer yeah. whatever anyone calls me.
0: Well,
1: Jim, just, you know, you've been on the front line, so to speak, of dealing with this COVID-19 situation as the president of a, of a university and uh, just, Give me just a little bit of a background on when it first struck you that this was a serious thing and just what a wrench this is, monkey wrench this is thrown into the dynamics of college education.
2: You know, we were hearing a lot about it there late February and the first few days of March. And actually, I was over at the Horizon League Basketball Tournament in Indianapolis. <laughs> I was riding back on Tuesday morning, uh, and we were on spring break. Uh all of a sudden, all these universities are sending their kids home. And so I was on these calls with our provosts and deans and so forth and talking about, uh, you know, what should we do? And I think in Ohio, Ohio State was the first one that came out. Ohio State was on spring break as well. Yeah. Uh, and then we called uh, that Tuesday with all 14 public presidents talking about, uh, uh, you know, they were, they were a little mad at Ohio State coming out in front of the rest of <laughs> group and so we've got an earful from a couple of people but uh, uh, trying to figure out you know how we could best as a group of universities uh, make the right decisions some people were on spring break some people were in school uh, we all came to the conclusion very quickly that we needed to uh, clear our campuses out both our employees and students but we didn't want to send someone away who had nowhere to go so we want to make sure that on campus, in the residence hall, in the apartments, what was better for them from a safety standpoint, uh, we would make sure we could take care of that and we could feed them and all the rest. But, you know, safety was number one, making sure that our people weren't out affecting other people. um, And then deciding, okay, what are we going to do? We're halfway through the semester. How are we going to do this? 90% of our courses were face-to-face. So in the 13-day period, we pivoted 2,700 courses or something like that from an in-person, face-to-face modality to a remote modality, and we had to make sure that our students had the laptops and Wi-Fi hotspots and our faculty, uh, our IT department was amazing. Our faculty was amazing how they pivoted and got their courses. The remote—it's not really online, but if you will—and um, yeah. we had to have discussions, Tim, about and the stress level of both the faculty, and the students. Maybe we should give people the option of pass/fail for a class. You know, we someone in there who might have been sitting at a B or a C, thinking, "Oh my gosh, now I'm remote. I can't do this. You know, I've cooped up. I don't have great Wi-Fi, so forth." So. Our academic senate executive committee made the decision that if a student wanted to shift to a credit, no credit, they could, Uh, and just all of those things. So the first two was all about safety and about how we could successfully finish the
1: semester. Who did you lean on the most for advice from the standpoint of how serious this COVID-19 situation was? Do you remember, was there one person in particular or a couple of people in particular, you you go, hey, these guys know what they're talking about?
2: Well, you know, we were staying tuned in with all the discussions on the federal level. You know, the president and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and all that. But we were also paying very strict attention to Governor DeWine and Lieutenant Governor Husted and Amy Acton, who happens to be a Youngstown State grad. She's a star. and, And so we were listening closely Uh, to them. Obviously, our marching orders were from the state level because the federal government had passed it on to the state because every state's a little different. Uh, Kudos to the federal government Uh, because we had to send students home and give them refunds for their dormitory and their dining hall and their parking pass and their rec fee and, and all those kinds of things. The federal government really did a good job of trying to help out universities to to overcome, you know, millions of dollars we had to send back and, but the students yeah. needed it, and, and so we really got a lot of good help from across the board. Every Monday and Thursday for probably the first eight weeks of this whole thing, every Monday and Thursday, we as a group of 14 presidents met on the phone so that we could talk and see what we learned, see what we could share with one another, you know, that type of thing. Uh, our provosts met once a week on the phone. our cFOs met once a week our h r people met once a week. Our student activities people. so really as a group of public universities, we had a great support system, and we could really glean from one another you know what were the best things to do at the moment.
1: Is Amy Acton going to get some kind of like special award from uh, the Youngstown State her being a proud penguin when this is all done what what's your think what's your thoughts on that?
2: Well, no question. In fact, everyone wanted her to do the commencement uh, this year. And, and I said, hey, Dr. Acton's busy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't even sleep. And so let's, let's just continue to be proud of her and let's support her and, and let's uh, uh, think about down the road. And, and interestingly, the Senate has to approve any commencement uh, possibilities. So the Academic Senate immediately added her to the potential commencement speaker list. And and so maybe someday we'll get it right now. I'm sure she's uh, got plenty. We ended up doing a virtual commencement and we're, our hopes are to think about August, doing a little bit of a get together for the class of 2020 when the class of 2024 arrives. Uh, but again, yeah. we're waiting every day for, you know, what we're allowed to do. We've, we've got statewide committees for a safe return to campus. Uh, Dr. Amy Fairchild from Ohio State is the School of Public Health at Ohio State. She and uh, General Faison, or Admiral Faison, from Cleveland State, who was a three, three-star admiral, who was all U.S. Navy medical operations uh, prior to his retirement. They're kind of co-chairing uh, our committee of how are we going to safely return to campus? We've turned in uh, to the governor uh, our plans for returning, and it'll it'll look different. Uh, obviously, the density of classrooms will be different. Uh, all of the various things will have to change a great deal. Uh, but uh, we're hoping here in the next short while that uh, they'll let some students back on campus. I know some leagues, the Big Twelve and the SEC, as yeah. In June, they'll let some student athletes back. I think as the state of Ohio, I don't know if we'll do it by conference or we'll wait and see what the governor has in mind, but we would like to consider bringing our student athletes back maybe after July 4th and also some other student activity groups so that we can rehearse some of the protocols that we're going to have in place. You know, I'd hate to practice when a thousand people show up and see if we can pull it off. I'd like to get four or five hundred back here and see if we can do it well. So, again, this is the day-to-day operation.
1: Yeah, you don't want it to be an improv situation. Uh, you know, Ohio State's uh, football players are going to be – they're going to be allowed to voluntarily uh, return to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, you know, June the 8th. Uh, and the interesting thing about that is they'll, they'll only be allowed to be in there in groups of – including an instructor, nine players and an instructor kind of guy from Mickey Marotti's group and stuff like that. But, you know, let's just get down to the brass tacks, Jim, what everybody really cares about. Is there there going to be a football season this year?
2: (laughs) Uh, A lot of people are asking that question. And and, and I think we will have one, just like I think we'll have an academic year. It'll look different. Our academic year will look different. It won't be as crowded. Uh, You know, I would – Doubt that they'll let 106,000 at the shoe. I doubt if 20,000 at Stambloss Stadium here at YSU. Uh, But I would like to think that if we can get our players back to safely train and make sure there's no hiccups there, and then if we get our student body back and we can show that you can be back on campus, I think we'll be able to have a way to do it. But what I tell our people almost every day is, you know, everyone, are we going to be back in school? I don't want to sit in my living room and take school anymore. You know, we got to come back. And my response is the better you do in June and July will determine if we're going to be here in August. Yeah. Well, you, you just are carefree and not careful. And we have a, a little outbreak here. In uh, our people from Dr. Acton on down, and the governor on down, they, they, safety is first, which is what it should be. Uh, and then what we're interested in doing is probably second. So let's be safe. Let's do a good job this summer and make sure that like absolutely we should be back and we should be playing football and soccer and running cross country and everything else. And it's, uh, it, I know that our, our student athletes, you know, I, I was a little nervous, Tim, about how would our student athletes do in class this second half of the semester. It's like, oh my gosh, everyone's telling them they're not going to play, and so the track championship couldn't happen, and the baseball couldn't happen. Were they going to go into the tank? And our coaches and academic advisors did it. We have 402 student athletes here, and 104 of them got a four point this semester. Wow. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. 402 their cumulative gpa was 3.26 uh we had 76 percent of them had over a three point and the lowest team gpa was 295 wow. out, of, out of 20 teams so uh you know our guys and gals did a great job and, and handled the adversity our obviously stayed on them and, and that really made me feel good but just to get
1: back to compete you know, 104 number, man. That's a huge golf team. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, I'm being, you know, you, as you were saying, talking about that. I just remember one of the one of your favorite sayings that I like would be where your feet are. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what right. people need to kind of do right now. To, the The idea is to presume what's going to happen, and which is really what can get you in trouble. Because I think what we're all fighting is from day to day, almost, but definitely week to week. The parameters of this thing are changing, and uh, and and as even Gene Smith said last week on a teleconference with us that you know early July is when you really are going to get a feel for really how things may go in the fall and it sounds like you subscribe to the same theory. Yeah I
2: think it's going to be a a week-to-week thing the the better we can show ourselves here in June Uh, and then when we do get some students back on campus if we can really demonstrate that we've got protocols in order and having mishaps and so forth, uh, I think if we roll into July and things are looking as good as they are now or even better, uh, I think we'll get the green light to uh, have a safe return to campus and a safe return to athletics, both of which will look very different.
1: Yeah. Hey. Jim, just straight up, uh, you know, because, you know, Urban Meyer and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, and, and Gene kind of brought it up a little bit, but just how how tsunami like could this fall be without football, especially for the major colleges, if in fact there is something? I mean, or there are some athletic departments that could teeter and fall on what's What could be the possibility, I mean, around the country? And I'm just wondering, is Youngstown State's kind of in that category? How would you – what kind of footing are you guys on from a financial situation?
2: Well, probably from an athletic standpoint, we're not as dependent upon revenue uh, as an Ohio State or a Big Ten or Big 12 or SEC. Uh, We don't have the fixed costs. Yeah. We we don't pay our coaches, you know, what – spend money on a lot of different things, that uh, our athletic budget is somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 or $15 million. And we count on four or five with the revenue to help that budget. Um, so it would impact us without question, but it would be more impact if we decided that you know what, it's not safe to come back and live in the residence halls and eat in the dining halls. That would impact us $8 million per semester. Wow, just us. Can you imagine what it would be at Ohio State with four times as many students, or Miami of Ohio and OU with twice as many students, but probably four times as many students that live on campus? So your kind of campus revenue. So uh, I, I tell our people all the time, we've got some really good advantage in a moment like this. People are going to be looking at quality that's affordable and right. now tuition isn't as high as many of the schools in the state. We're not forced to live in these big huge residential hall populations. We own about 1,200 of our own beds and then we have another oh 2,000 adjacent around campus that are uh, apartment style which fortunately a thousand of our beds are brand new. Everyone has their own bedroom uh, you know from social distancing standpoint, they're really good. But we don't yeah. have 16,000 people living on top of one another. And uh, so uh, we have some advantages, uh, you know, I'm rooting for to be able to make it, uh, but it's be easy, unfortunately, we're all in that where we have to do some furloughs and we have to do some layoffs. you know, those kinds of things, which, uh, you know, it, they're no fun at all. Uh, if the big power five, doesn't have football, it's, it will be hugely impactful.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, a lot of people think the little guy, I, I agree with what you just said. You know, I mean, you guys are, based on tuition, et cetera, you guys are a bargain out there compared to Ohio State and some of the other, some of the Mac schools when you just, uh, just the yearly cost uh, for students to attend. I wanted to ask you this, though. Do you, does it feel like you're making a fourth and one call against Michigan every day of the week now maybe three or four of them or five or six of them what what is that sense what does that feel what does it feel like to be in the midst of this and be the leader of a university
2: you know I just said something to Alan in the middle toward the end of last week what this feels like to me is recruiting because I remember during recruiting one day you thought oh you know we're doing good and then yeah Someone decided to go elsewhere. Then you were up, oh, we got a pretty good sign from so-and-so. Then it went down the other, then you went up, then you went down. And that's kind of you know, what this feels like is every time you turn the news, you know, it's you know, whether it's possible vaccine, one person saying it might be within a year, other person saying you still don't have a SARS vaccine or a, some of the other ones that haven't been able to figure it out uh, or, Yes, we'll be able to be back, or no, we only want one person in a residence hall. Well, if there's only one person in a residence hall room at Ohio State, I don't think Ohio State can afford that. You know, so you're up, you're down, you're up. One day you're feeling good that your faculty's done a great job, and then you hear one faculty member who's maybe your age or mine, Tim, saying, oh, I don't know if I want to come back to teach from my home, so you're Plans are up and down, so it's it's not so much like fourth and, on the fourth and one call. You the the call comes and goes, you know. But it, it's like a series of fourth and ones, yeah. constant uh, roller coaster. And uh, and even when we get back, let us be optimistic. Let's say we're back here in the fall. We will be uptight as to every day finding out. Did did all of a sudden we have an outbreak? You know, and, and so I don't know when it will be uh, a relaxing time, uh, probably not until you get that vaccine that everyone says clearly uh, there's no threat. But until then, it's going to be like recruiting. It's going to be a roller coaster.
1: Yeah, I, I equated this on my podcast a couple of weeks ago to when me and my brother used to go out and hunt snakes in the in the ditch. One of my older brother, we'd go out and hunt snakes in the ditch behind our house before we'd play baseball or football games back there to make sure. This is in East Texas. But you never know if you got all the snakes out of the grass, right? You just saw the ones that were obvious. And this is like that 2001 when you had to deal with that, uh, you know, the nine eleven 11 fallout and the game got got postponed. And then y'all's next game was at UCLA. Have you drawn any parallel to that at all? Or is it just a sense of, hey, you know, if everybody stuck to their P's and Q's, there weren't going to be bombs in the Rose Bowl that next game when y'all played UCLA and stuff. You know, uh, I mean, is it – but have you drawn are there any parallels to that from your from your vantage point?
2: You know there there are some because we had some student athletes that the UCLA trip was going to be the first time they were on an airplane. Yeah, uh, they, they were nervous about uh, you know the East Coast was hit all the you know rumors and whatever talk shows saying hey the rumor is that West Coast is next and what would be a bigger uh, impact than the Rose Bowl with a hundred people and so that. There was a lot of tension uh, that week. I think once we got through that week, uh, and because a whole bunch of people who were directly affected by nine eleven, yeah, uh, that they didn't really know anyone. Uh, I think it got back to a, a certain norm outside of maybe some of the security travel things that you know a little different. Uh, I was talking with someone. We were talking about the White House the other day, and uh, about the difference between going to the White House in the '90s and going to the White House in 2003 after 9/11. It was a totally different visit. Oh, it was Ben Hartsock. Ben coached Antonio and Coach Bowman and I on a little podcast talking about uh, uh, 2002 season and then going to the to the White House when almost got shot by a sniper for go make a snow angel in the front lawn, but uh, yeah. uh, it was different in 2003, and so things are going to be different going forward for all of us, um, some of which will probably be good. Part of it will probably be aggravating and expensive and everything else, and, and uh, it's, tune in. It's going to be interesting.
1: I mean, let me tell a little anecdote from that, though. You told me later and, you know, kept it secret for a while. But uh, on that trip to the White House, as you told me, uh, President Bush came up to you, saddled up to you, said, we're going in. And you looked at it or you were looking like you're going in. What? I mean, uh, he kind of gave you the precursor that the assault was about to take place. Right. What what, went through your mind when he said that to you?
2: Well, you know, those are big decisions, you know, wait. My pay grade, and and it just reminds you, you know, when you're when you're thrust into those situations where you you have to make tough calls, you know, you've got to you better have good people around you, and uh, you know that's we've been fortunate here with this COVID nineteen. So pleased with whether it's our faculty or our staff, uh, everybody involved is. You know, every time you make a decision, you know. Uh, going to impact people especially that you make this fall yeah bringing groups back we don't want to be the ones that uh affect others outside of us and and so you know life is a series of decisions and and you better write people to make sure you bet you know and, and uh you know make those good
1: decisions you know, when I've, when I've described what football is like in this, uh, I've used sort of a Jim Trussell word that I just kind of made up. It was I, I, I keep saying football is the most congregational of all the sports because mm-hmm. you've got 22 guys running into each other on every play. You've got, you know, Ohio State's case, 100,000 people in the stands, even 50,000 if that's what it's like. I mean, it would seem like, Jim, it would be almost the last sport that would give, be given – clearance to, like, do your thing. Uh, You you see what I'm saying there? And that's just on game day. But,
2: you know, think about the number of people that were at the Woody every day at practice. You've got trainers, you've got equipment guys, you've got student coaches. You know, you've probably, I don't know, well over 200 people are, you know, kind of huddled around the environment, and those things are going to change, and there's no
1: Yeah, I was gonna say uh, the 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 word Ohio State, the word uh, they're using is the essential personnel. That's what they've they're trying to figure out who definitely has to be inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center uh, for a practice, et cetera, and then and then the protocols. You know, I mean, everybody will get checked going in every day. You know, you won't necessarily get a COVID nineteen test, but you you will be tested at some point. And uh, yeah, to me, it's just the logistics of just putting a team on the field is mind boggling because, like you said football is about meetings more than anything else. Yeah, and that's right. and, and uh, guys, you know, everybody was wearing a mask, et cetera. Hey, uh, let's just jump on a couple more things and I'll get out of here with you. I appreciate you coming on with me. And, uh, sure. you know, it, it's uh, uh, it's not lost on me and probably not lost on you that in uh, 2011, I was sitting outside the Woodhase Hayes Lake Center on Memorial Day when when the word came down that you – had uh, resigned, retired, uh, stepped stepped away from football. And, and what I want to ask is this. Number one, I know that was emotional for you in all kinds of ways. But the flip side of it is, as you look back on it now, uh, a huge gate opened <laughs> that I'm not sure you, you thought you would have ever gone down. And j- just how emotional was that time when you were basically, you know, in essence, asked to leave your post uh, that you had dedicated your life and soul to, you know, the 24-7 rule. You believed, I think, you worked 23 hours a day one way or the other, dreaming about football or making it better. But how tough was that? But then is it amazing how these other gates opened for you?
2: You know, that that is one of the amazing things. that You remember Doc Spurgeon that used to be around our our place a little bit? He's my old mentor, the old retired English teacher. He used to come up a little bit in the spring and the summer. and I remember – Right about that moment, uh, he said, said, I know you probably aren't looking at things this way, but by far, you have a lot more impact ahead of you than behind you. And he said, but you have to believe that. And unless you believe that, then if you believe that, it will. So that kind of came in one ear, stuck a little, but, you know, out a little as well. But the more as the days went forward, um, it really was uh, kind of a, an exciting challenge to figure out, well, what could that possibly be? And, uh, you know, I had planned not to make a rash decision. And, you know, you get calls from people, could you come coach here, go do this, do that. And I thought, no, nah, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to make a hurry decision. And then when Jim Caldwell called and said, hey, we're not going to have Peyton Manning. We're not going to win any games. Could you come win a couple? And so one thing led to another and got to spend some time with Jim, and which was really good because it made me realize that, you know what? There probably is something else. You know, that, and I'm not yeah. sure what it is. And then all of a sudden, people from different industries and in different directions and were uh, getting a hold of me. And, and the one that was in the higher education. And some of the small colleges that had open presidencies were calling and I visited with them a little bit. I thought, well, I don't know enough about this. I might be dangerous if I go do that. And, you know, as fate would have it, uh, Dr. Proenza from University of Akron called and said, "Look, you would be perfect for this one day, but you're going to have to learn. And why don't you come for a couple of years and be a vice president? Promise me two years and uh, years and help us, I think you can learn, you'll find out if you want to be a president someday. And, you know, wouldn't you know it, fate, yeah. all the rest. And and uh, so uh, I, I have told many people many times that, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you're forced. If you're forced to pivot, and you believe even greater things are going to happen. And uh, now if you forced to pivot and woe is me, or you cling to whatever it is you're comfortable with, you know, you're probably not going to be able to to have that even greater impact. So uh, yeah, I look back and, and I would have never dreamed, uh, you know, being a college president. I'm still, I'm sure there's a lot of people around who never dreamed there would be one too, but uh, <laughs> but we've been having fun and, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's a neat opportunity and, and, uh, spent 45 years now in higher education, just at all different levels and, and all the time, this is no less exciting. Yeah. Than the, the last one, uh, it's much broader and it's, it's stretched intellectually. Uh, it really made me, uh, be a better listener and a better learner because I didn't know what I didn't know. And, uh, me, that's a, that's a real positive thing when you can be fortunate enough for that to happen in your career.
1: I was going to say, uh, Jim, I was at the uh, press conference when they announced you as the vice president at Akron, one of the vice presidents at Akron. That's got to be the largest attended press conference for a, vi- for a vice presidential uh, announcement in history. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, well, people were curious, you know, for all kinds of reasons of what, what was going to happen with you. You know, I would think that being a president of university uh, compared to being a head football coach. Head football coach is more like driving a speedboat and being a president of the university is more like driving an oil tanker. If is it, is it, in other words, decisions you make now, you don't see the turn for like maybe six months or a year or something is it, it, it was it, was it hard kind of like settling into that sort of like not instantaneous impact for the most part. Yeah. I talk to my deans
2: and my provost and my vice presidents all the time. And I remind them that for 40 some years, 40 years, I made a decision every 25 seconds. Would you guys please make a decision? Because that tanker doesn't make decisions real fast. Uh, yeah. That's um, that's a learning thing, too. I think tankers should probably make decisions a little sooner. Maybe, speed boats, you know, be a little bit more careful and deliberative and, uh, uh, you know, research things. But when the, when the clock's ticking down you got to make a call and uh, I think that experience I think if I went the opposite direction if I was a president first and then went to be a coach I'm not sure it would translate as well as being a coach and a president now yeah I have no analytical data for that you know no proof but uh there's a whole lot of, of coaching and and working intimately with students that uh it, it helps me help our people do things from a student centric standpoint, and I think that's uh, that's been a blessing.
1: You notice I haven't asked too much about football and I, and I won't because that's that's pretty much behind you now, and you, you've been through that a million times with people. Uh, I do want to ask this though. Uh, have you been contacted or are you interested in the Ohio State president job?
2: Boy, you told, hey. this was, you told me this was going to be an easy podcast.
1: It um, is. That's a yes or no answer. <laughs> I'm right. just messing with. You
2: yeah. uh, You know what's interesting? You know, I've chit chatted with some people about it, and I've I've asked the question: What is it that they that they feel they need? Uh, because people say, "Are you interested?" And and I'm really not interested if it's if it's something that they need something else. If what qualities I've been able to demonstrate or need you know so I have had one little discussion not with Ohio directly uh, but uh, you know I I think it's difficult for a sitting president in the middle of all this yeah uh, to think much about that in fact when I was contacted uh, I kind of forgot it was on a long thing of emails and and you know I was so engaged in so many other things Uh, but then I finally got back to the person and and just from a curious standpoint, you know well what is it? you know what is it you need, and you do know that this is difficult to even have that quick one question conversation because we got a lot on here and, and yeah. uh, I, I think really, for a place like major r one research with a medical school uh, with a desire to be a top ten public university. Uh, I think they would be better served to have more of an academic uh, reputation uh, in their next leader. Not that Dr. Drake didn't have a great academic reputation. But I think that's what the Ohio State presidency deserves. Uh, you know, so my guess is that's what they need. That's what, need. and uh, my hands are full here. So uh, I think I think we'll be just settled in here and, and for for the foreseeable future.
1: Well, I'd like to say this before you go, you know, uh, a a major university is not unlike uh, a major uh, race car. It runs on grease, green grease, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, that's as important, I think, as anything else. And you've you've shown the ability to be able to raise funds, et cetera, Jim. And uh, I was going to say, last thing, is it, I don't know, as you look back on it now, was was this – Was this sort of like you think meant to be? Because I was very curious when a couple of, for example, pro football jobs came up. People, I got phone calls from people asking me about you. You know, like the Browns, for example. I thought you would have been a tremendous pro football coach just because of your approach because you remind me uh you remind me so much of looking back of some of the greats uh who, who did that like joe gibbs uh, i mean he was a he, he kind of has the same demeanor you've got you know paul brown uh, right on down the line there were guys who just were cut out to be head coaches and i'm just wondering did was that a, was that a chance or a possibility that passed you by that you wish you'd had a shot at
2: you know not really – you've heard me say many times that paradise is where I am. Uh, You know, when I came to Ohio State in 2001, I wasn't sitting around Youngstown hoping to go to Ohio State someday. Yeah. Uh, It just happened one thing led to another. I I talk all the time to young coaches about timing and so forth. The timing was good for me in 2001 because I think they were anxious to have someone with deep Ohio roots – you know, I, I think that was something that was important to them. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, we had had a good run at Youngstown State, and one thing led, to, and uh, I'm sure some people were offered the job before they offered it to me and, and all the rest. So, uh, you know, I like you used the phrase uh, stay where your feet are. The one I always use is keep your mind in your rear end. And uh, my mind has always been where I am. And uh, if I stayed my whole life as an assistant coach at Akron back in the seventies, I'm sure I would have, I would have been fine with that. And, and uh, likewise, every job I had, I don't have any regrets. You know, do I love like, the thought of the Cleveland Browns getting, you know, back to the glory days and so forth? Yeah. But you know, lots of people, uh, you know, that, about that dream about that and time yeah. has to be right. Fit has to be right. And, uh, you know, so I don't know uh, the new coach at the Browns. I know the new coach at Ohio State, uh pleased with a uh, few interactions I've had with Ryan. We sat at a banquet about a week before all this COVID broke up. Hmm. And they were uh, – uh, they had had like one or two spring practices at two that morning, yeah. And they lost their tailback. And we were talking at the table. He was saying, oh, my gosh, you know – Talking about maybe no, you know, spring practice, sending the students home, and all that. And he said, "Man, I wish they'd have done that days ago." You know, but uh, he seems like a a, a real you know, quality young guy that uh, that the players enjoy playing for, and, and uh, so I'm excited about him. I don't know the new coach at the Browns, but uh, I'm sure he's a good one. And and Tim, like you and I, are in the same chapter in life. It's time for the young people to have their opportunity, you know, to the younger people. We're still young, but younger people. And I used to think about all those years that Bruno stayed at Penn State. Uh, There were probably two or three people that get to be the Penn State head coach because he was able to be it so long. Yeah. Anyone that would have the chance to be the Ohio State head coach or the Browns head coach, uh, be the lifetime for them and uh, I'm more than happy to have someone other than me be the Browns head coach.
1: Yeah, no, you and I you and I had that conversation about Joe par a couple of times if you remember and you you did not see yourself doing that as long as he did for all kinds of reasons and and one of the things was you know also you know you were so hell bent on 100% every day if you ever woke up a morning when you weren't going to give 100% you felt like you were cheating somebody. Uh, you're a young president (laughs) do you you, every day do you do you wake up with a vim and a vigor that uh drives you
2: oh there's no question i wake up with a vim and a vigor but i will say this ellen and i were laughing you know we went 45 years going out every night you know banquets fundraising recruiting you know whatever it is and all of a sudden we're at home every night and every weekend was taken all of a sudden weekends you can't go anywhere and I said, you know, I think this might be a dress rehearsal for retirement. <laughs> you know, I was talking with Mark D'Antonio and Jim Bowman. I said, how do you like it? They say, you know what? This isn't bad. You know, so uh, one day at a time and, and uh, you know, like we used to always talk about at Ohio State, as long as you're the best person for the moment, you know, you probably, that's your duty to be there. If, you know, it might be better if you move on then it's time to move on. So we'll see, we've got to get through this COVID thing and
1: have
2: the stability and, and this, the university, Tim, as you know, is so important to this region that uh, uh, you know, we've got to make sure we do this one right. And, and uh, you know, then we'll see what happens after that. And and, uh, maybe we'll get down to the Gulf shores of Alabama sometime to visit with Andrews.
1: That's interesting because my daughter and her boyfriend are in Gulf Shores, Alabama, right now, having a little vacation. Uh, last question I wanted to ask you, uh, um, and we'll get out of here. Or um, are the or are the is the era of the long term major college football coach over? And uh, Nick Saban and Kirk Ferentz are probably you know, I mean Kirk Ferentz more than anybody you know now in the Big Ten, but. Do you, Is it with all the pressures, et cetera, the scrutiny, the Twitter, the whatever, will anybody be a 30-year coach ever again at one place?
2: You know, I think it'll be harder uh, simply because you have all that, the Twitter and the Instagram and the uh, transfer portal, <laughs> you know, image likeness. Uh, and, you know, coaches are making a lot of money now. And, you know, some people keep their job for a long time because they say, ooh, I got to work a lot, little while longer so I have a couple bucks in retirement. Uh, you know, so I think if you add all those things together, um, it will be more difficult. But there will be that, you know, there's always those ones that, uh, you know, I don't know how many coaches in, in uh, major college football have coached 24 head coaches. Probably not many. Uh, <laughs> And it'll probably be some fewer now, but I don't think it will be extinct.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, man, I, I grew up in that era, you know, of a, uh, uh, you know, same same time you did. I just remember Woody; they wanted to run Woody out of here in '67. Uh, Bear Bryant had a lean latter part of the '60s, and yet the university stuck with them, and they had their maybe their most glorious years as yes. far as football teams. After that, you know, so, you know, everything's going to
2: ebb and flow, right? Yeah. It's harder for the universities to stick with you now. Right. All of a sudden the attendance starts going down or the or the social media ramps up and, uh, uh, you know, uh, Coach K at Duke, you know, he was terrible at the beginning, and, uh, but they, you know, they thought he was the right kind of person and there was no, media and there was only 8,000 going to Cameron Indoor anyway and, uh, you know, but... It's a little more difficult now, uh, you know, with uh, I think the patience level uh, and uh, so many sides of the media that uh, it's a little bit more difficult.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Trussell, President Jim Trussell, former coach Jim Trussell. uh, Thank you very much for joining me on my podcast.
2: My pleasure, Tim. Always good to be with you and keep
1: in touch. I will, my man. You know that. Thank you very much. Hall of Famer Jim Trestle. Yeah. We'll be back Thank in a moment, you. ladies and gentlemen. As always an interesting conversation with Jim Trestle, and I think my, my buddy Boston, you know him as Austin Ward, <coughs> would agree with that. Right, Boston?
0: Yeah. He's, um, you know, as everybody who listens to this podcast regularly knows, my time frame for covering Ohio State and moving up here was post-Jim Trestle um, basically, Urban's arrival is what brought me to Columbus as, as ESPN was looking to, you know, basically follow this team on a daily basis and, and expand their coverage of Urban Meyer and what they thought was going to happen there. So, you know, the, I've had to rely on, on you and Burm and everybody else around this beat to obviously I, I covered college football at that time. I know what Jim Trestle did. And I also, you know, live with, a, with a, my wife who grew up being an Ohio State fan and her whole life and I and she had Trestle's book when we started dating and I know about him but you know the history and stuff and what it was like on a day-to-day basis with him like uh, and the way he sees you know stuff like you know being a president of a university and getting through COVID-19 and how that impacts a school and a football program he's got such a unique perspective on it and uh, yeah. you know I, I wish that I had got to you know here earlier because I love Columbus and I love covering Ohio State and get to know him a little bit better because my experience, I think I've maybe interviewed him one time and uh, you know I don't have that you know, he's just he's an interesting uh, impressive figure in college athletics and I, I wish that I got to had got to cover him the way that you did because he seems to have really um, not he doesn't always maybe present that that knowledge and perspective publicly he seems sometimes he does you know act like the senator and give you that on the fence answer but. I think yeah. when you peel it back he does seem to have some really you know great ideas and an interesting approach to life. He's uh for one of another term he's a
1: very intelligent man. He's uh, well read, he's well learned or learned depending on how you pronounce it. I think the British say learned. It. Uh uh he you know and uh it just—it's just amazing to me. I got to—I got to interview Woody Hayes several, quite a few times, actually, back in the late seventies, and 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 after he was, uh, you know, unceremoniously dumped as Ohio State football coach following the Gator Bowl in 1978, and uh, but uh, you know, it's amazing to me, uh, Woody Hayes, Earl Bruce, uh, John Cooper, Jim Trussell, uh, for one year, Luke Fickle. Urban Meyer and now Ryan Day, uh, what's that, seven guys, how they could all be so different in so many ways and yet effective. And it just shows you, you know, if you've got a plan and you follow the plan, uh, cause you know, we've seen, and I, I threw Luke Fickle in there cause he was the interim coach thrown into a really tough situation after, uh, Trestle was let go and, uh, stuck with Trestle's staff and also lost uh, several of his key players, most of them for almost all the season. And one, one key player, Terrell Pryor actually quit the team, you know, rather than face NCAA scrutiny, uh, going into that season, um. And yet he he mustered through, and now he's shown his true colors as the head coach at University of Cincinnati, one of the more talented head coaches in the country. I think you agree with that. But it's just amazing to me how different these guys are and yet still get the job done.
0: Yeah, and I think if you ask them all, Tim, the thing that they would say is that – and you reference this – is that you have to have a plan that you believe in. And the one thing that – so it doesn't all have to look identical because – uh, the one advantage to being so successful that you become the Ohio state coach is that when you get to Columbus, you're going to have every possible resource available to execute your plan. So let me interrupt you. And yeah. it,
1: that's what John Cooper said, you know, that John Cooper made that point, you know, if you don't win here at Ohio state, then you, you, you know, you, you're you not trying go ahead now.
0: Yeah. So I, I think, uh, but I think that that's important to remember is that there's just, not one way uh, to go about winning at Ohio State. And this came up a lot in the transition, you know, that, that we covered from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day was like, well, what part you – know, Urban was wildly successful. Like m- most coaches at Ohio State do have some uh, high-level success. That's why they're they're hired in the first place. But yeah. you know, what what are you going to keep? Like how do you maintain what he builds? And, and, he, and he, he was pretty open and honest, I felt like, from the start. Ryan Day was that you have to – you have to shape it to your personality. Urban did great things and he brought new things to Ohio State. And, and when you're talking about, you know, the real life Wednesday stuff or the way that Mark Pantone ran the recruiting operations, that's and Mickey Marathi, whatever. Those are things you didn't want to mess with, but right. he couldn't just, you know, absorb all of Urban's personality because that maniacal focus and intensity that Urban Meyer has, Ryan Days is different and he doesn't, you can tell with him that the competitive fire burns just as brightly, but he is able to turn it off and on in different settings. And, you know, I remember you you and I would be sitting out in the, uh, in the bigs lobby outside the practice facility on a Wednesday night, and he's leaving at 8 PM. You know, you don't see a lot of college football coaches doing that. Um, You know, that doesn't, so Trestle's thing is more that, you know, those quiet moments and that um, senatorial leadership, but it also won a national championship and the guys that um, we've had working with us at Letterman row, you know, whether that's, you know, will crawl or having talked with Brian Hartline a number of times or Anthony Schlegel. I mean, these guys would do anything for Trestle still to this day. Uh-huh. And that leadership, you know, permeates, but all of that is done in a different way. And that's why I, I'm not an expert on the way he did it by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think it's interesting to look at the end of Trestle's career and, compare, you know, a decade on now in the name, image, and likeness and the scandal that brought his tenure to an end, it's possible, uh, maybe probable, that it was best for Ohio State to have somebody else elevate the program after Trestle. I think that that wound up being a, a good situation for the Buckeyes yep. and Urban Meyer is sitting right there. But, you know, who knows what the rest of his career would have looked like at, the, at Ohio State if there wasn't this – push to allow players to actually capitalize and sign their name and sell a Jersey or whatever it is that they got to do, because now you look at, yeah, whatever you you look at, what brought him down now. And it's like, what, why, why was there so much outrage? I don't understand it. Yeah. Well, I even, you know,
1: I kept that thinking way back then, you know, except the outrage was that that stuff was against NCAA rules, you know, but, uh, You know, it's not like breaking and entering. You know, that's the way I looked at it. I uh, mean, and plus the school, the school over, in my opinion, overreacted. You know, we could debate that forever, uh, in a lot of ways. Just like, you know, two years ago, what went on uh, with the uh, with the Urban Meyer situation. Um, that was. It, things just got way out of hand and it was crazy, you know, and when things go, get way out of hand, somebody has to pay the price. Right. And, uh, and uh, it's funny because every one of those guys I just mentioned a while ago who were head coaches at Ohio state in one form or fashion were summarily let go, you know, <laughs> no matter how you, no matter what words you use, they were told you're no longer, you're no longer the guy, uh, urban, you know, urban, came to that uh, decision himself based on everything I've ever found out about it. But he was, there were some tough things going on then, things he didn't like that uh, that happened to him during that year. And then, of course, compounded by the fact he had that arachnoidal uh, cyst that uh, basically made made at times life unbearable for him from a physical standpoint you know he's a lot better off now you know it's really funny before we move on just talk a little bit about uh, the COVID-19 or how, how Ohio State's responding now uh the uh, the funny thing about the Urban Meyer podcast from two weeks ago I had is like he said you know you know, I read uh, reading here where some people say I was, I was tough to work for and you know there. are I think to a man, most people will say that you know like I told him he was a uh, you know he was considered for one of another term a taskmaster a guy that believed don't tell me what you've done tell me what you're doing and tell me what you're what's coming you know what I mean that's that's the way he operated in life but uh, both he and he and uh, Jim Trussell had something very much in common they were they were very much detail oriented I think that's what separates the great ones from the near greats is they are detail oriented want to cover as much ground as as many of the bases as possible in preparations for a game or any other endeavor that the football program takes and uh, that's what in my opinion uh, sets them apart just like Woody. Woody was a big detailed dude man and uh, so was Earl Bruce. John Cooper was too for the most part but John Cooper believed in hiring uh, quality assistant coaches and sort of letting them do their job you know, and that's the other way of going about things, you know, just like Bobby Bowden did, like Bear Brad did the last 20 years of his 15 years of his career. I mean, that's also another way of doing it. But, you know, you've got to keep up with what they're doing or that can get you in trouble. So, you know, it's just it's just funny to me how different these guys all were. And uh, yet they were all effective in their own ways. And like you said, though, if, if they were also given the keys to a Mercedes, you know. Now drive the Mercedes, you know, make sure you change the oil, you know, Uh, make sure you get to keep the brakes up to stuff, but it's a Mercedes drive it. And uh, some of them drove it maybe better than others, but they all, they all had some uh, glowing moments.
0: Yeah. And I think maybe that's why people had, you know, the urban Meyer, you're going to give him the keys and not even think twice. He's already proven he could drive it. But I think when we're talking about, you know, the stuff with Ryan day and why people asked, how much yeah. he was going to keep of Urban was that he had never, you know, he had, he'd had a learner's permit, but he had never driven a whole machine on his own. Right. And that was <laughs> like, we were sitting there like, how are you going to manage all this? Cause you're, you've never been a head coach. You've just been an offensive coordinator. You know, he'd only been around this program for two years after coming back from the NFL. And it was like, that really caught people by surprise because, of just how powerful this program is and the amount of resources that you're giving to him. Now, obviously, Urban Meyer and Gene Smith and, you know, JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins could all vouch for the fact that, Hey, we believe this guy can do it. But, you know, I, you still look at the way this is this all has transpired. And the fact that we've talked the last few weeks about, you know, obviously his debut season, but now the recruiting and and everything trending in the positive direction. We've seen the leadership that he's had, you know, the players, and we've got to talk to a few of them, you know, the way they talked about the team meetings and zoom meetings and the message and how much they believe in what he's doing everything that's has been validated so far, right. For Ryan day. And yeah, you know, but that's, again, my point is that all these guys are building on stuff that came before them for, for anyone that, you know, Woody, obviously his name is on that building Earl Bruce wound up playing a pretty big role in helping bring along urban Meyer among the other things that he did in the eighties. And then, you know, people going to pick at, at Cooper's record against Michigan, but that changed – he was a guy that helped change, I think, the recruiting at that yes. time, the huge stockpile of players. And then Jim Trestle took them to another level. All these guys are continuing to build off that. You, you wonder why, like, Ohio State stands alone as this – not alone, but in a top two or three etch, upper echelon programs because they're stacking tremendous leaders on top of the other, and they're all taking what worked before – Cooper gave to Trestle, then Trestle gave to Fickle and Urban, and now Urban has passed this down to Ryan Day. And it's like, yeah. you know, you wonder how much more you can – how much more and better you can do. But uh, it's been a – it's a wild run of success, these guys that you've covered for so long and, and know what yeah. they're Like It's, it's really Real. exciting to come in and be around that.
1: Yeah, and, you know, like Trestle's the one who started to go down and sing Carmen Ohio with the band after, after a game was over. And, uh, you know, obviously Urban Meyer – Last time onto that, kept that, you know, like he said, it was gut-wrenching, <laughs> it was two times or several times he lost in Ohio State, two times he lost in Ohio State, and we'd go down there and do that, and even on the road when the band was there, you know, but he only had to do it, he only had to do it nine times, so I don't feel that sorry for him, are you kidding me, that's still unbelievable, uh, I don't know if those numbers – I don't know. Ryan Day's off to a good start of matching those numbers. Uh, I don't know if those numbers will ever be matched. I mean, seven in a row against Michigan. Of course, Trussell won, uh, what, uh, four, five, five, six, seven, and two after the the loss in 2003 against Michigan. I I keep telling everybody, uh, Austin – no matter who's involved, this is the golden age of Ohio State football. Fifty years from now, when you're writing your book and I'm up in heaven kind of like trying to lead you, you know, give you thoughts, (laughs) transmit you thoughts, I'm up in football heaven watching Bear Bear Bryant go against John McKay or something. Uh, Those are what you're going to – you're going to look back on this era. I mean, it's been crazy how good the football – and what's also crazy is when you make it good – how much people then been expect more of it, you know? The fans expect not just for you to be contending for national championships, but to be winning. Um, and just like you brought John Cooper a while ago, John Cooper I think, back to being a perpetual contender on the national scale. Back in the mid '90s, from '93 through uh, through '98, I mean, they were that was as good a program as there was in the country. And of course, back then there wasn't the college football playoff. There was just the BCS didn't start until '98. Uh, but they would have been in some playoffs even then. And and that one slip during the year might not have cost them as much, or that one loss to Michigan, you know, yeah. which. By the way, added up to a bunch of losses against Michigan, two ten and one was his record. But uh, just the great teams they had during in and the talent that came through the place was it was unbelievable.
0: Yeah, did you mean to to reference a specific slip? We were you talking about Jim Cooper there or John Cooper? What?
1: Yeah, I say did I say John Jim Cooper?
0: <laughs> I just remember one time,
1: uh, the the first year after uh, Jim Trestle took over. Uh, you know, I, I call my dog my son's name. I, you know, I mean, I get names mixed up all the time because I'm getting older. And uh, I said, uh, John, uh, Jim, and 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 Trestles at the got the microphone at the at the uh, press conference. He's going Jim, Jim, who's Jim? I mean, no, excuse me, John, John, <laughs> who's John? I wish I get that part out, but that's that's what he did. So uh, he was what I liked about Trussell, man. There was a there was a gleam in his eye at all times. If you follow my drift, yeah. Hey, real quick. Speaking of gleam in your eye, and getting your temperature check, walking in the door, et cetera, Just real quickly, we got like two minutes. Uh, Ohio State's going to open the facility June eighth. Last time we met on this podcast, we didn't know precisely, but we had an idea of what was coming. Uh, they're going to open the facility to voluntary workouts on June eighth, uh, as we speak. Um, the COVID-19 situation, uh, there's a lot of reopening going on, but there's also a lot of trepidation on whether there could be a second wave of infections, et cetera, which could force people back into their quarantines, et cetera. But uh, that is big uh, positive news, uh, a little snippet of positive news headed toward a possible college football season, which, by the way, uh, in the podcast uh, Jim Trussell said he expects there to be college football this, this year in some form.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, that was huge. You and I, I think, so we recorded last week and we were talking about how the next wave would look and the options they were considering. And then the next day it sort of became clear as we were you know, making those calls around that, that June 8th was going to be this target date. And we, uh, you know, we we heard several different things at first that you know, it was going to be uh, regardless of the NCAA uh, vote, if it was going to be, you know, because of the expiring Ohio, you know, Ohio restrictions on the gym and, maybe first, but you know, I think this wound up being a plan in place. That's, that's not that difficult for them to execute on paper, but now there's going to be a whole bunch of new challenges because just because nine or 10 players are working out for an hour and then a new wave comes in and that by itself is, is a lot of work. Um, but we're talking about football. So nine guys, that's not even a full offensive formation. Um, that's a reminder then of how much more there is to go before the game can actually be played because June the 8th, that's a positive step that uh, Ohio state, the big 10, the sec, pretty much everywhere across the country is going to have their players back in June on a limited basis. But the way that this game is played, you're still going to need that six weeks of where you can have 22 people on a field at the same time. Then you're going to need to put them in pads and let them hit each other. um, You know, the timeline for this is still maybe a little bit more compressed um, than is ideal. And so I don't know once we get through this next phase, when the next one will begin. But the fact that there is a June 8th opening and they can ease back into some form of working out on campus. It's hard to deny that that's a massive step forward.
1: Yeah. But you know, everybody for the most part, People are working on the same kind of schedule, you know, around the country. I mean, uh, for the most part. And uh, you know, the key is, you know, how's the incidentally going to police what's going on? Meaning, or some teams going to jump right in, maybe a little more aggressively <laughs> than others yeah. in terms of uh, the workouts, etc. You know, it's you know, that's not the time to be stupid, you know, and uh, now's not the time to be. Uh, football at all costs. I mean, now's the time to be smart so you can have football in the fall. And Ohio State, under Gene Smith's leadership, is taking that approach. And you know what? Be smart about this. Be vigilant. Uh, stay on top of stuff, which mean, which being vigilant means. Yeah. Uh, but just, you know, don't be stupid. Uh, don't push the envelope to where we're going to have to step back in the middle of August and say, uh-oh, we were wrong. Uh, too many guys are getting COVID nineteen. Uh, you know, people keep pushing forth the idea that you know th- the huge majority of the people who have died from this and have had have had bad uh, uh, experiences with COVID nineteen or my age you know you know above 60 etc but I but you still don't want people having COVID-19 no matter what the situation is but number two uh you know you don't want people getting COVID-19 and giving it to others that's the other part of it you know so it's like you know it's there's all kinds of uh, considerations going on but I think you know as you and I've been talking about on this podcast for many weeks now I do think there's going to be some kind of form of a college football season in the fall I think it could be like I said a long time ago, I think it could be an all-conference season for the major conferences, and then figure out a way to deal with the college football playoff at the end of it. And uh, I'm going to stick with that until, you know, the people in Oregon, for example, can get their act together.
0: Yeah, I, you know, somebody asked me uh, that for the Letterman Road Question of the Day on Tuesday, and you know about the Oregon Ohio State game, and I and I've, you know, people who've listened to this podcast know that I am not. I don't think predictions or projections about games are, is a worthwhile endeavor right now because you need yeah. that information all the way up to July. But I would hedge that to say if I was betting on whether that game is played right now, I would err on the side of cancellation because I do think that there is increasing uh, support for that conference-only plan, not just for the Big Ten, but you know for all leagues. And right. you've, you've touched on this before that that, that could be – you know, a really bad deal for athletic departments at the at MAC level or the Mountain West level and those other games that are key money makers for non-conference drivers for those programs. But in the interest – when we talked to Gene Smith last week on his most recent conference call, there were two or three times where he brought up conference-only plans and why those would make sense in, yeah. in terms of man- managing travel, uh, familiarity with the locker rooms. You're probably – you know – you would have two options, really, that he didn't even dive into this, where you could you could start the season in September and start playing those November games earlier, which imagine seeing uh, the game in late October or, you know, the first week of November. That's, you know, but if, if you're worried about a second wave, you could move Big Ten games to start in September, you play it all, and everything adjusts from there, or you keep it as is and just start playing in, in late September. Now, those are just two things that are on the table out of literally hundreds. Right. Uh, But the conference-only games, I think, are probably going to be the the best path forward. them to to have a full season, and then you have to figure out, what are you going to do with the college football playoff? Are you going to guarantee bids to all the Power 5 leagues? And, you know, maybe this leads to an 18 playoff or whatever, and however you, you fix it, I don't know, because getting all these leagues to agree on it is tough, but... Um,
1: hey, who wrote that six or seven weeks ago that that's what I would do this year, one year only. Yeah, I, but you know what would be the problem with that? The problem with that would be then you would have – people would say, well, why can't you have an 18 playoff? I mean, that that's that's what that will lead to, as you well know.
0: But I think that that – I mean, if that is the outcome, you know, sign me up for that because I, yeah. I used to always be opposed. I thought four was the right number. Uh, Ohio State, incidentally, has helped prove why – on several different occasions and several different ways why it doesn't work. Uh, Right. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you need that necessity is the mother of invention. If you can't get the sugar bowl and the Rose bowl to, you know, move off their days, guess what? Sometimes you get forced to by something outside your control. And maybe that's the way that you can strong arm it and get this thing to a more workable, you know, at least for this year, they're not going to have it. Like if the Rose bowl was played, on January 1, you know, I think that that would be another upset just along the lines of that Oregon game being played. I think the schedule is going to have to be moved in some way to account for this because you're probably not going to play 12 Big Ten games. You're going to play 8 to 10. That's probably – and that's also contingent on if they could – if the SEC will move theirs around and play 10 games or nine games or whatever. But I'm getting way off track. You didn't want me to do that today. But, uh, you know, I I, I think that that is – much more likely um, this week than last week or the week before, but you've been saying that for seven weeks, and I, I have, I absolutely believe you're right.
1: You know, speaking of get off track, this this has turned into like that uh, Denzel Washington Denzel Washington movie uh, um, where he uh, he and that guy chased down, I think it's Chris Pine, chased down a runaway freight train from behind and catch it and save the day. And uh, with that said, we have caught the runaway freight train got from him. behind boston and uh it is funny how it went from like late winter to mid july weather wise in a span of a week and a half in central ohio agreed
0: Uh, i was not complaining because i've you know the one uh, outlet that we've had for recreation has been uh, our golf games and uh, the weather did not really comply for much whether it was rain or cold or wind this was the first weekend where the sunscreen was out and uh, my wife was uh, Allie was nice enough to let me go twice over the Memorial Day weekend, um, and I did not mind one bit that it was summer. Uh, after all the other stuff that we've gone through, I think we've earned it. We didn't need spring. Uh, we're here now.
1: Yeah. By the way, I need a few more of those vice pass out balls that uh, our boss Will Crawl has. You know. Right. Uh, but, but speaking of Allie, uh, tell her that uh, before Jim Tressel, I started the podcast part of our thing. He asked me why his book wasn't up here behind my shoulder. I said, well, that's where I keep all my buddy Jeff Snook's books to kind of promote Jeff Snook, my, my best buddy. But uh, it was pretty funny. So uh, what well, goes around comes around on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. He's still got the plug. There you go, man. Hey, but until next time, uh, for Boston, you know him as Austin Ward. This is Tim May. Thanks for tuning into to the Tim May Podcast. We'll see you next week.